You are listening to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you are on this disciple's journey with me as we've been reading through the book of Psalms this week. I love the Psalms. I love that whether it be David or Ethan or uh, the sons of Korah, Solomon, Moses, all of these different writers have penned excellent worship songs to God, and we get to be the recipients of that. It challenges us, encourages us, equips us, comforts us. The Psalms is are full of great theological truths, devotional applications, and yes, even apologetic issues. And that's what our episode today is about, apologetics from the book of Psalms. And you may have never thought about that, but in this particular uh, uh, book, we find many different things about God and man's relationship with God uh, really from the book of Psalms. For instance, Psalms is, is primarily uh, about the acknowledgement that there is a God, one God, monotheistic uh, worship, worship to one God. When uh, David or any of the psalmists will write that, O Lord, our Lord, uh, you are exalted in all the earth. That That is a, is a reminder to not only the people of Israel, but the surrounding nations, hey, there is only one God. Well, that's an apologetic issue. Uh, we also see from a psalm like 139, we'll read that next week, where uh, where it talks about the creation of, of uh, individuals, even in their mother's womb. And so that's an apologetic issue of the celebration of the sanctity of life. We see in Psalm 51, as I've already discussed this week, that uh, there is confession for the heart, meaning we acknowledge our own sin before God. We see Psalm 22 with the confession uh, of, uh, or, or with the picture of the crucifixion and uh, Christ calling out, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Uh, Psalm 23, of course, probably one of the most famous Psalms in which we see the Lord is my shepherd. There's a personal understanding. But then he says at the very end, uh, uh, the personal relationship of, of God and David in his life, earthly life, but at the very end, the acknowledgement, uh, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there is life after death. These are apologetic issues. And one of the things I wanted to bring up today really comes from Psalm 14. You've read it this week in our daily reading, and it begins in verse 1. There is a declaration that uh, that David makes, and here's what it is. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. I mean, that is an apologetic statement. It's one in which he is uh, firmly uh, uh, asserting that only those who are foolish have no clear understanding or rational truth. Uh, only those who are fools would say there is no God. And yet, we have a world around us that claims that God is not real, that God does not exist, that a being who is all-powerful, creator, sustainer, judge, deliverer, and redeemer cannot exist because of whether it be science or, uh, or, or or history or literature, they'll use all sorts of things to combat the Bible and the truth of the Bible, Jesus Christ. And yet, 
The world and world systems fail every day because there truly is a God. And only a fool would say there is no God. This is what David says. Now, I want you, though, in Psalm 14 to look at if this is an issue that we must deal with in defending our faith uh, in Christ and in in the Word of God, uh, why does the fool say that there is no God. Well, I want you to look at Psalm 14 and see. It says, uh, again, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. And the Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So two statements I want to make to you that kind of kind of sum up this this question of why are there so many that say there is no God and number one uh, is that men and women who say there is no God the reason for that is they have rejected truth this is a mind issue here where they have rejected truth Paul in writing the book of Romans would say it like this listen to Verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. What Paul says in Romans 1 is uh, is paralleled and completely backed up by what David says in Psalm 14, that the reason people say there is no God is first, their understanding has been darkened because they have rejected or suppressed the truth. God is known to all individuals, and yet it is the wickedness of our heart and the rejection of our mind to truth. Most people who reject the uh, belief in God or the understanding of God, they would say it is irrational to believe in a being. Well, actually, it's irrational not to believe in God because not only does creation show us, I mean, think about everything around us that has been created. And if it's such a great design, there must be a designer. And so all of creation, uh, the world, the heavens, all creation declares there's a God, but also our conscience. It says it's been true, it's been revealed to us that within us there is a cry of uh, of a God that created us. And so even Ecclesiastes, the great uh, uh, preacher Solomon, would even say that God has placed eternity in our hearts. And so there is creation and conscience that declare there is a God, but we have, as as a society, as a people, as a world, rejected the truth. And this is what happens here. Well, then we also see that rejection of truth leads to rebellion with corruption. Again, it says they are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Think about that for just a moment. That David is writing and says the reason that you are wicked, the reason that you have sin in your life 
is because your belief system is wrong. Not just that your behavior is wrong, but your belief system. So we are all wicked, sinful creatures because we know God, yet we reject Him. This is the basis and foundation of the gospel. Now, I know it sounds, you know, when we say, hey, you've got to get this to get the gospel. Well, to appreciate the good news of Jesus Christ saving us, you must acknowledge the bad news. And the bad news is you and I deserve a place called hell because we are wicked. And most people don't want to admit this. No, most people don't want to think about this. They, they want to justify their own goodness or justify even why they make poor decisions sometimes and, and pretend in their own mind that, hey, I, I just made a mistake. No, no, no. You are a sinner and your identity is sinfulness until Christ changes your heart. And so because of that, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death that we deserve to die. Hebrews chapter 9, 27 is appointed once for man to die, and after that, the judgment. We stand judged before God. This is why so many people want to uh, steer clear of a truth or understanding that God exists, because if I admit that God exists, then I must admit He is creator. And if He is creator, then He is judged, because I play by His rules. This is the basis of the gospel to get the good news that Jesus saves, we must understand the bad news that we are in need of what? A Savior. We can't save ourselves. So remember in all of this, we're not called to change our behavior. That's what, that's moralistic deism or taking our idea that if we can just be better people, if we can just apply a few uh, rules, if we can just follow some lessons that we can change our behavior and look good before God, then he'll deem us acceptable. That is not the case. In fact, Psalm 14 speaks against that. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's belief system that leads to bad behavior. We don't change our behavior in order to be saved, but rather we have our beliefs changed and the beliefs will then determine the behavior. What I mean by that is how must we be saved? Well, we repent and believe in Jesus Christ. How do you repent? By trusting that Jesus is our is the only one that can save us. And so we turn around from trusting in our works in this world, and we turn to Jesus, put our faith and trust in Him, and then guess what? Our behavior changes. That's the gospel. So maybe you right now are trying to live in a certain way for your behavior to be uh, good enough to get you to heaven. Well, guess what? You have made your own self God in the midst of God. And God says, I will have no other gods before me. You, He will reject you in your pride. But if you'll change your belief, or better yet, allow the Holy Spirit to change your beliefs, then the Holy Spirit can truly change your behavior. Like I said, beliefs will determine behavior. So come back with me. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know, there are many right now that they're saying, if God would just show me, if, if God would just put a neon sign, if God would just, if he would just do this. Well, listen, that's not the issue. God has already given you everything you need. Creation, general revelation, conscience, that's your own heart, but then specific uh, revelation through his word the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed. And if you've heard that, then listen, your heart has been opened to receive the gospel. If you've heard the gospel and you are now held accountable for what you've heard. 
And your only response now is not to try to intellectually determine is there a God or not. Intellect will not get you there alone. But you must respond in faith. The just, Habakkuk 2 tells us, the just shall live by faith. Paul would quote that in his New Testament epistles and remind us, the just shall live by faith. And so we change our beliefs, and that will change your behavior. But if you're still sitting there today saying, well, there's no God, or I can't prove there's a God, you are living in foolishness. Trust in the God who has created us, sustained us, will judge us, but will also deliver us if we turn away from ourselves. And that that is what the gospel is about. Jesus Christ came so that we might be saved. So when uh, when people ask, uh, even sitting down and uh, walking through, hey, can you prove to me there is a God? Well, I can walk you through different arguments for the existence of God. I can walk you through questions and answers about uh, the problem of evil. I can walk you through, and I can try to answer every question you have, but ultimately it comes down to this. Are you going to surrender? Are you going to believe? Are you going to uh, take a step off of your throne of your heart in your pride and admit that there is a God, and that God loves you enough that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to save you, so that you might have right relationship with him here on earth, and eternal life in, uh, in heaven, and that through that you might be saved. And that's the question, what will you do with Jesus? Any other question or any other uh, belief, any other behavior will send you to hell. And I love you enough to be honest with you. Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Down at the very end of the passage, oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores his captive people. Jacob will rejoice. Israel will be glad. And the greatest restoration that came is Jesus Christ. As we close out this episode, uh, I want to share with you a ministry moment, and that ministry moment is actually includes uh, actually includes some of our church members. They are in Honduras this week, uh, and I want you to pray for that team that's in Honduras. They are with the Baptist Medical and Dental uh, Organization, and we've been going year after year. And specifically, as you pray, I want you to pray for for Bubba, for Ricky, for Cindy. Uh, let their names be heard by God from your lips and then also pray for the rest of the team that's down there and pray that as they return that they have great stories of what God has done. Pray that God keeps them healthy, safe, and ultimately that they are used to spread the name of Jesus Christ. That's our ministry and mission moment for the week. I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the ground.